cloud. Hello and welcome. I am Kim Keen, host of the One of a Kind You podcast. I started this podcast to share my journey of my past self, a woman who was struggling with leaving her teaching career and adjusting to stay-at-home mom life to help other women in their motherhood journeys so they can let go, make themselves a priority without all the sacrificing. So if you are a regular listener to One of a Kind You, thank you so much for tuning into another episode. If you are new here, thank you and welcome. I'm so excited that you decided to stop by and check it out. And the way this podcast usually works is that I usually share a journal entry of mine from about five or six years ago when I was in the thick of the struggle. And I reflect on what I know now as a certified life coach and what I wish I had known then. And just a little fun fact, this episode of One of a Kind You is sponsored by the Be Well, Be Safe, Be Happy, Eat Ice Cream podcast and more from our sponsor later. But without further ado, um, today's episode is a little bit different because I have a guest with us. Her name is Tracy Canella. She is a fellow podcaster. She um, has a counseling practice. She told me the name, but I'm going to let her say it so I don't butcher it. And she is a licensed um, mental health therapist. And um, she's going to talk to us today about something that I think all moms want to get the lowdown on, and that is disordered eating. So she is an expert. She is specialized in helping people that have disordered eating problems, conditions, um, so I will let Tracy fill in the gaps with the introduction. Awesome. Thank you so much for having me on your podcast today. Yeah, yeah I'm Tracy Candela, and I have a private practice in Olympia, Washington. I'm a licensed mental health counselor. I'm also a certified eating disorder specialist supervisor. And my practice name is Lokahi Counseling, which is a Hawaiian word that means harmony, unity, and agreement. So I do work. Yeah, it's it's pretty cool. I'm actually a quarter Hawaiian myself. And so I I chose that name because it had such meaning for me. And my private practice is currently full. I'm doing podcasting on the side. I also do YouTube supervision. And I am in the midst of developing some online classes, one of which which is about helping parents help their teenagers recover from disordered eating. So I'm so happy to be here today. Yes. Thank you. You are a busy lady. My goodness. So thank you for taking time to come chat with us on one of a kind you. Absolutely. Yeah. So um, if you don't mind me asking, how did you get started working with teens and people who are affected by disordered eating? Well, funny you should say that. I struggled with an eating disorder when I was a teenager. Uh And then I wrote a chapter in a book. And this uh, book uh, chapter, this book is called Adolescent Nutrition, Assuring the Needs of Emerging Adults. And I wrote a chapter on otherwise specified eating disorders in that book chapter because it's directed at at adolescents. Mm -hmm. And I just have a little heart for this because when I was 15, I struggled with anorexia nervosa and didn't have the money to be able to get the treatment that I needed probably at that time. Uh, And so it's one of those things where I thought maybe if we could educate the parents a little bit more, we wouldn't have to even send these, uh, these kids to expensive treatment centers and maybe they could save a bunch of money and, and be able to do the very important work at home parenting if they just had a roadmap or a skill book. Yeah, I think that's so important um, because it's something that I think as parents, we m- might think like, oh my gosh, there's a problem, but we don't know how. And then broaching the conversation is a challenge. 
And I have two daughters. So this is something that and I know boys suffer from eating disorders too. It's not just a girl problem. Um, but I will never forget when Casey, my younger daughter came down the stairs, she was probably four or five. This is when Fuller House was really big and popular. And there was an episode where Ramona was at the cafe with her friends and they all agreed they weren't going to eat carbs at that little friend gathering because they didn't want to get fat. And so then Casey came down the stairs later and stopped halfway down the flight of stairs and she pinched her side and she's like, I'm so fat. And in that moment I thought, Oh my God. I, Cause I mean, I, I know it can start young, but I was like, really, we're going to have this conversation at five. So, you know, we talked about, you're not fat. The doctor, you know, checks your weight when you go for your well check and they you're on the chart and you're exactly where you're supposed to be. So you're not fat, but it's just, I feel like we get so many messages and images of what body perfection looks like that it can be so hard for um, teens to shake that message that they're not the right weight or their body type isn't quite right because of what society says it should look like or be like. Yeah, and it's so interesting about that message that your daughter sent you. I'm so fat while she's pinching her abdomen. And the advice or the counsel that you gave her was very factual. So it kind of helped her to get grounded in reality. So that's awesome. But what most parents don't understand is there's also an emotional component uh, to this message. I am fat. So how does that make you feel? So here I am as a therapist thinking, you know, most parents don't I don't know how to do therapy, right? Of course they right. don't. But most parents can learn about basic feelings or even just that phrase, what are you feeling right now? Are you yeah. feeling, and the, the basic emotions being not that hard. It's not that difficult. It's just happy, sad, fearful, angry, um, guilty, ashamed, and, and embarrassed, whatever it is you can ask your child what how does that make you feel then of course that sounds really therapisty but it's just something that parents can be aware of is that when she watched the tv show she had a thought and then she had a feeling and her behavior was saying uh, i i'm so fat mm -hmm. and and uh, grabbing her abdomen and so the feelings often get lost in the mix and so that's why i'm here to be a therapist and to talk to kids about their feelings yeah, I think it's so important because um, I think when we talk about our feelings, it taps us back into our heart center and it gets us out of our head. Um, and I can imagine, you know, when, I mean, even as adult, as an adult, there are times where I think um, like, oh my gosh, what if this doesn't look right? What, you know, does this make me look fat? Does this make me look whatever? And so there are lots of feelings there, like the feeling of not being accepted, the feeling of being criticized or judged, the feeling of not being loved or liked. And so kids have those same feelings. And I think if we get them to recognize those feelings when they're little, when they're younger and tap into that, it helps them navigate as they get older because they're already associating a language with it. They're identifying with it. They're connecting with it. Yeah. And, you know, one of the counselors I saw way back when he said something really interesting about emotions and I have not been able to disprove it, but I don't know if it's exactly true. So members of your audience can always remember this about feelings that most feelings can be traced back to fear and yeah. almost everything. If, if you do this replay and you listen to it and everything you just said, I could connect it back to fear. Oh, absolutely. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's a, that's a big tip for, for parents just to be able to say, if they're not able to memorize this, the six basic emotions, remember fear, remember that most everything will connect back to fear and ask, are you afraid of something? And maybe she's afraid of becoming fat, or maybe she's afraid of, of something else, but we do want to check into our, with our kids just to make sure that we understand how they're feeling and fear is a good way to start the conversation. Yeah. And I think it's an easy, um, emotion for them to connect to. Cause I think if anything, you know, fear, I mean, obviously all emotions are universal, but fear is something that they're very familiar with as little kids, because they're afraid of the dark. They're afraid Mm -hmm. of bugs. They're afraid of, I mean, there's lots of things that they're afraid of. They're afraid of a monster under their bed. So I think it's like very easy for them to tap into and actually verbalize that word fear or afraid, because it's something that they say often when they're little. Yeah, so I think scared, a, scared is yeah, another word. Scared. Yeah. And so I think that's a great starting point to just open up the dialogue for conversation. But not all kids are always willing to talk to parents. And I was definitely one of those kids where my parents recognized signs, not of disordered eating, but of an unhealthy relationship with the high school boyfriend. And I was tight lipped. I was not letting the cat out of the bag about any of it. So um, how do you, like, what tools or strategies or suggestions do you have for if a parent sees or maybe suspects that might be some disordered eating and, you know, they ask the question, you know, how are you feeling right now? Or what is that making you feel? Or, or, you know, I'm noticing that and the child is resistant to talk. Is there anything they can do or do we just keep trying? Well, I think, yeah, definitely want to keep trying. And yet, you know, so if they're, they're tight lipped and they're, uh, they're not saying anything, you do want to honor that and let them, it's sort of like the, the whole rabbit in the rabbit hole thing. You're not going to get the rabbit out of the rabbit hole uh, by like sticking your hand in, into the rabbit hole. You're going to, you're going to sort of put a carrot out there possibly, or put something that they might want to, why does everything I say always go back to food? I don't know what, anyway, um, <laughs> it's it's an easy analogy. We all love food. So it's totally <laughs> relatable. Right. But you don't actually have to put food out there, but you, yeah. you can put something that is food for your child, which is something that will open the door. And if you know your child well enough, you know what will, will get them talking if they won't get them talking about. So when you were that age, maybe you were interested in something else, uh, talking about something else other than the, the anime, or sorry, I was thinking like, if you were interested in anime, yeah. um, you could talk about the anime instead of the relationship. And then the right. anime, you can talk about anime actually um, naturally unfolds into relationships, or even if you're interested in, in horses or sports or something like that, you can, you can engage in conversation with your kid and find out a lot. And just being able to spend time with them. Also, I like the idea of doing an activity with your kid and then not having that face-to-face conversation. Their eyes are maybe, maybe we're coloring together. Like I love adult coloring books, by the way, like coloring mandalas and stuff. But if we're coloring or if we're doing beading, I love doing, bringing out my beads with kids and we're just doing a bead sort of design, like let's, let's design a necklace or a bracelet. We do an activity. We don't have to look at each other, but conversation could arise and trust could be given. And I might actually 
actually share if I was a mom that like I was your mom and I knew, well, hmm, something might be going on with my kid and it could be about her relationship. I might open up a little bit about some of my past boyfriends about how like sometimes um, I felt really awkward or whatever. I might open that door as well if I had an intuition that that might be something that my daughter was struggling with. And so those are some tips, some quick ones just off the top of my head. Just one, don't don't push it. Yeah. Uh, and two, get that carrot out there. Three, put a little distancing in there if you really think that the kid might need some, uh, some, you know, just some luring out and um, not eye contact, not like we're going to have a talk about this now sort yes. of thing. Yeah. So um, are there some classic warning signs that parents can look for when it comes to disordered eating? There are so many. I've got a whole list here if you want to hear it. And this, yes, is what I, this is what parents bring into not only when they email me, because some of them are very open when they email me about what's going on with their, with their teens, especially the teenagers, because I, I only treat um, children 13 and up, which ironically in the state of Washington, age 13 is considered an adult. So they wow. get to make their own mental health decisions really? at the age of 13, but wow. they're still kids, right? So yeah. So That's what they, yeah, they, they, they typically say, okay, so, so I've, I've been noticing large amounts of food are disappearing. Um, my, my kid is eating. I know that I found some remnants of food in the room. I've found some evidence of, of vomiting. Mm. Uh, I have um, thought that my kid is spending way too much time doing sports or exercise and, uh, or uh, my kid used to eat this sort of food. And now they're not eating any of this kind of food, like mac and cheese. They used mm -hmm. to love mac and cheese. They're not eating mac and cheese anymore. In fact, they're not eating anything with carbs in it. And I'm okay. concerned because there's a change in the type of eating uh, that's going on. And then there's also that talk of uh, I'm, I'm fat or she's got a better body than I am. Uh, I have, you know, so some comparisons, uh, maybe you're watching a TV show and, uh, you know, one of your kids says, I, I wish I looked like her. I'm going to go on a diet. Well, that's a kind of a blatant one. Yeah. Um, but overly restricting their food. So you find that they're just not eating if you have family dinners or even if you don't, because a lot of, a lot of families don't, yeah. but you know, like I've heard of, uh, well, she's losing weight. And then we find out that the lunch that the mom has packed for her has been being thrown away at oh. school because they are not eating their lunches and then they're not eating a whole lot at dinner too. Um, and so then, you know, people, uh, the kids who want to over restrict their calorie intake for the purposes of losing weight, <clears throat> that's an extreme difficulty right there. Yeah. And especially if you go to the doctor and find that actual weight loss has been occurring, you want to make sure and check the physical health of your child. Maybe your child has passed out at school. Maybe they be just become really super critical of themselves all of a sudden, or they start to count calories and mm -hmm. say, no, I can't have this dessert because it's, it's too fattening or it's, it's a bad food talking about good and bad foods. I really like the, uh, the name of your, uh, your sponsor about eating ice cream. That it's funny. I was listening to that. It's kind of a long name for a podcast, but the eating ice cream at the end, I'm like, Oh yeah, that's, I can rock with that. Right. Yes. So the message behind the eat the ice cream is that, um, moderation being healthy is in, you know, moderation and not necessarily with restriction, but he always feels joy 
when he eats an ice cream cone. So like not to forget the joy in life and not to forget the joy in the health journey. So treat yourself to the ice cream cone. Um, he said the other day he decided he was going to have an ice cream cone for lunch because he wanted to feel happy. And so he treated himself to an ice cream at lunch. But um, yeah, so that's where the eat the ice cream part comes from. Right. Yeah. So if he stops all of a sudden eating ice cream, then that would indicate possibly a problem. Now, I know that he's not a teen, but adults can develop disordered eating as well. And something can happen in his life that would be really stressful. And he could possibly say, well, I'm going to drop that eating ice cream part. And we would sort of wonder what that might be about. And and we don't want to panic, but we do want to start asking some questions and being curious about, hmm, why might that be happening? Yes. So do you find Tracy that, um, disordered eating starts because of a stressful situation, like maybe, an unexpected divorce or, um, like a school stressor, like not doing well on a final exam, or do you feel like it's related more to, um, comparison in terms of physical aspects in relation to uh, the way they look in comparison to other people? You know, what I really like to say about this is that, nobody's nobody's development of an eating disorder is ever the same Mm -hmm. Uh, no struggle is ever the same and no recovery is ever the same and I also say no kid well this may not be true now in the age of Instagram I I used to say anyway that no kid really wants an eating disorder they may say they want it but once they have it it's it's really hard to be able to get rid of it. So it can be often um, a 10 year struggle for kids to get rid of an eating disorder if it's not caught and treated right away. Mm -hmm. And no parent wants their kid to struggle with an eating disorder. So just putting that out there, then over a big umbrella, and uh, what you said, yes, those are reasons. Uh, I like to think of it more of, of like, so an eating disorder uh, can be developed if there is a, any kind of stressor in their environment, which mm-hmm. would include school, which it would include, you know, their own psychology, their relationships, their relationships in their family. If mm-hmm. there's family relationships, it's often said that kids with eating disorders are the family barometer. So things mm-hmm. are going on in the family and this kid, all this, all of a sudden it's, it's almost like 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 the the uh, spring on the turkey on the Thanksgiving turkey. See, there I go using a food analogy again. Just kind of comes up and it's like, wait, something's wrong here, or something needs to happen. Mm-hmm. And that's uh, what how I like to see the uh, the kids with eating disorders is like there's something wrong somewhere that we we need to fix. And here are the symptoms: is that I'm not eating right. I'm not eating as I normally would or and there's been a change in my eating something isn't right there could be also physical illness i had a client one time who had i think it was mononucleosis and ended up losing quite a bit of weight which triggered her into disordered eating because of some of the thinking that came uh, around the body size changing so drastically. It's almost like I really wanted to lose that weight and now I've lost it because of this illness and now I want to keep it off. So I am going to continue to restrict my eating even when I'm done with the the mono. So it's very interesting. So all of those ways you can develop it. There's also a strong genetic connection. So if someone in your family has struggled with an eating disorder or disordered eating, there's a strong possibility that you, your, your child or you might as well. And so that's the biology. And then I mentioned the psychology that can go on with the comparisons and with yeah. the, the social stuff. Uh, it's a biopsychosocial model and uh, it, it can be caused by any and or all of those things 
a converging with a personality type that is tends to be per- perfectionistic mm-hmm. uh, per- and, and one that is very sensitive mm-hmm. and, and one that's very emotional in nature. So it's, it's a mixed bag. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And so um, do you see that anorexia and bulimia often go hand in hand, or is it like you're either anorexic or you're bulimic. I know this is probably not a one size fits all. It varies from person to person. Absolutely. So yeah, there is a, there is a distinction between anorexia and bulimia and they often get confused. So when we first started learning about anorexia back in the eighties, I mean, really learning about it, uh, people would assume that it did involve vomiting. Right. Uh, But it can. And, but really what anorexia is just as a quick definition is just the restriction of energy intake. So food uh, leading to a significantly low body weight. Now we used to use some insurance companies descriptions. I forget what the name of the insurance company was the descriptions of like average weight ranges. Uh, But now we use the BMI, which I don't totally agree with uh, because I don't, I don't think it's accurate measure uh, of what, you know, lower weight, but you want, what you want to look for is a, a significant drop in their weight, their baseline weight, weight. Mm -hmm. So you go to their pediatrician and you say, this is where they're, they were at in their trajectory and whoa, now they're really down. Um, and, and so it, and sometimes if it affects their physical health, there's also, there's that, but it also has to be accompanied by an intense fear of gaining weight, even though they may be underweight. So there's gotta be that fear of gaining weight and a body image disturbances are also present. So if the fear of gaining weight also involves um, a restriction of food or, and they, it could also uh, involve purging food as well when you are in this, uh, in this disorder in anorexia. So it can, there's a, there's a purging type of anorexia, but it's gotta be a significantly low uh, body weight or a shift in the way uh, that the body has changed through time. And of course the fear of, of gaining weight. So bulimia is pretty much the same except for the body weight does not have to be uh, subnormal. And oh, okay. um, it is characterized by eating large amounts of food within say a two hour period and without a sense of control. So that's the binging part. This is like yeah. the binging. Bulimia is, is, a, is a fancy word for ox hunger. So uh-huh. it's like this big, big hunger and all of this food is consumed. And then um, also doing a compensation compensatory behavior, which doesn't have to be vomiting. It can be uh, excessive exercising. It can be going uh, several days without eating, you know, fasting. It can be using laxatives, diuretics, you know, anything to com- compensate for the calories taken in is going to be characterized by bulimia. So they, there are really pretty good differences. It doesn't have to be a significantly low body weight and it's characterized by this, this big binge and a purge uh, of some sort or a compensatory way of getting rid of of the food and then the body image, like, um, like a very, like very fearful of the body image, uh, that does have to be in this category too. So anorexia and bulimia have a lot of things in common, but they also have some distinct differences. Yeah. It's so fascinating. Cause I think I always just thought if you're purging, then you're bulimic. If you're restricting, then you're anorexic. So, um, it's fascinating to know that there's a form of anorexia that still has the purging aspect to it. Yep. And so Absolutely. I guess bulimia also is the same 
motivator is to maintain a certain body image, but they just do it without the restrictions. So, um, for me, that's a little bit harder to wrap my brain around. So like, if you're intaking large quantities of food, you would think that that fear of gaining weight would be stronger than if you're restricting. Well, you don't ever know that. Uh, you yeah. really don't know how intense the fear is. Uh, sometimes there's a different emotion driving the eating in the first place. Uh, mm -hmm. There's different motivators in bulimia than anorexia. It, it is, uh, they're not scared to eat. Yes. Uh, people with anorexia are scared to eat. Um, people, those with bulimia are, are not scared to eat. They will, but they'll find a way to compensate for it. And maybe they are scared to eat. I don't know. I mean, like I said, everybody's different. I've never met somebody with bulimia that is, uh, well, yeah, I guess I have. Yeah. I guess sometimes they can be scared to eat, but, but typically the, there will be a time where they're not scared to eat and they will overdo it. Uh, and so if you can see uh, disordered eating on a, on a pen, sort of a pendulum, whenever you restrict the, the, the uh, trajectory is going to be shifting to, you're going to overcompensate and mm -hmm. possibly binge. That's what you want to see in, in bulimia. So if they're afraid to eat, then they're probably going to eat later with anorexia. You'll see there's a, I'm afraid I'm afraid to eat, but that trajectory doesn't come. It's sort of like, yeah, I'm just really super all the time, really super careful about what I eat. And if I even eat, I don't go on a binge, but say I eat some ice cream and that's a very common uh, food for purging. Um, then I'm going to purge it. I'm going to vomit it out. So, um, that's I guess easy coming back out. It's a, mm -hmm. exactly. Okay. Yeah. So if large, if, if some ice cream is disappearing, it doesn't have, it has, doesn't have to be in a happy place, but it really should. Cause I love ice cream too. It'd oh, be interesting too. to, yeah, to, to find out what favorite flavor of ice cream your, your friend has, I bet probably yeah. a lots of different ones. Um, yeah. So I would say ice cream is part of my genetic makeup because that was the the majority of them my mom ate when she was pregnant with me. So I'm like, I need ice cream every day just to survive. Right. Yeah. So this is also fascinating. And I feel like there's so much that I didn't know, but I thought I did. And so, uh, I just am like a little bit mind blown right now. So yeah, yeah it's just, it's absolutely fascinating. And the thing that comes to mind is um is Karen Carpenter, which I know is like a super old reference for anorexia. But I think she she had a maybe a little bit of I don't think she had bulimia. I think she had anorexia with the purging. But I can remember my mom loves the Carpenters, and so I can remember watching a documentary esque. It was like a docudrama back in the early '90s when those first became a thing, and it was about Karen Carpenter's journey with anorexia and to see, um, and of course it was played by an actress. And so I'm sure there was a lot of dramatization to it, but to just watch her go, um, basically spiraling down. And I can remember in the video or in the movie, it showed her, uh, restricting the food, but over exercising too, and almost passing out, trying to exercise with basically no calories in her body to give her the energy she needed to exercise. She definitely had the um, the purging type of anorexia because she was also taking quite a few um, diuretics and laxatives. And the latest that I had heard on her, because this is what really captured our attention about anorexia back in the 80s when she died, mm -hmm. was that she died, right? That you can die from a mental illness. Yeah. And so, uh, yeah, she was also taking some uh, thyroid medication that was prescribed to her to speed up her metabolism. So she was purging in a lot of different ways and not 
eating a whole lot. Mm -hmm. uh, there was also the, um, the other thing that had happened to her was months before her death, she had been in, in a recovery treatment center and had gained a bunch of weight back fairly quickly, which is always a strain on your heart. And uh, mm -hmm. our medical professionals in eating disorder treatment facilities today now know that the refeeding process can lead into a, a syndrome called refeeding syndrome. That's really super dangerous. So if, if your child is drastically underweight and you think they might have an eating disorder, you need to go to an eating disorder specialist and try and find one or get assessed by an eating disorder treatment center. There's all kinds of free ones. The major treatment centers around the country will offer them for absolutely free and many of them can be done online. Yeah. So what is this refeeding syndrome? So now I'm curious about this. So it's because your body is not able to process the amount of food coming back in because it's used to having so little. So the organs, I guess, are kind of in overdrive and then they can't handle that. That is almost a perfect definition of it. Yes. Yeah, okay. exactly. You do have to make sure that the, all of the organs are going to be supported by this shock to the system. Mm -hmm. So uh, you explained it almost perfectly. Oh, well, look at that. Yeah, I, I was going to say, I'm not a medical person, but here's my explanation. But you, yeah. that's that would have been my explanation, what you just said. Yeah. And I think the Karen Carpenter story, I think the sadness of it was that A, she passed away because she was basically an icon. But I think it was that she was trying to heal. She was in recovery and she was trying to get better and she still passed away. And I think that was the sad part, the tragic part in that story. And we did lose a, a beautiful voice yes. in, in all of this. And uh, yeah, yes. And so that made us pay attention in the 80s. Mm -hmm. And then I have on my podcast, I have uh, interviewed Anita Johnston, who was a pioneer back in the 80s of starting treatment centers. In fact, she's still got, she's the, um, I think the chief executive officer or founder of Ipono on the island of Maui. So that's uh, a place I'd like to go if I was struggling with this yes. eating. Go, go to a nice island where we can yes. garden and eat and learn yes. how to be comfortable in our bodies again. Yeah. Yeah. I think um, that Hawaii sounds amazing. <laughs> Yeah. Well, and, <laughs> Take a trip to Hawaii any day of the week. But now we have all kinds of treatment centers. Yeah. We have them all over the place and you just have to Google it. And uh, there are all kinds of ways that we can assess disordered eating now. So you have parents have all kinds of tools out there. Yeah. And I think that's incredible that the tools are there because I think oftentimes we feel like the resources aren't there or they're hard to find and we feel like we have to go it alone. And that makes the journey that much harder for the child or the teen or the person suffering from disordered eating, but also for the parent or the person trying to help them as well. So it, I think can be a lonely journey for both parties, but to know that there are resources and support out there is really the most important thing. Right. And that's one of the reasons I developed the online course, Helping Teens Teenagers Recover, is because I wanted to do a live cohort of, of people who, who can ask me questions. On mm -hmm. the, It's not going to be just the stationary sort of a thing, but pe that people could ask me questions. And if, like, if I think that there's a treatment center that may benefit them, that they could go to do an, a free assessment, I can, I can do that. But I, I really wanted to develop a course so that uh, so that they would have a, that they would have a guide. And this is a, the called the parents the the subtitle is the a parents guidebook uh, yeah. for for their teenagers uh, and disordered eating. So 
Uh, I'm excited about launching it. It hasn't gotten launched yet, but I do have uh, the website if you want to put it in your notes. Yes, we would love to put the website in the show notes because I think it's um, it's a great resource and I think it's, it feels safe. You know, it's a group setting. So, you know, that you're supported. You're not the only one. You can get your questions answered. You can get the support and guidance that you need. And, um, and you don't have to go searching all over for it. It's right here. It's available for you. It's easy to take advantage of. Um, and I think that's the, that's the key. Cause I think oftentimes we think like, oh my gosh, it's another thing I have to try and track down on top of all of the other things. And then that in itself becomes overwhelming and daunting. Yeah, exactly. So that's why it's so parents, an easy way to be able to see if there's a problem that even needs to be addressed, or you need to go this extra step is, is the problems with food and eating and or body image? Is it affecting major life domains? Mm -hmm. And I had, and so I don't know if, if people who are viewing this can actually see this is a palm tree and this represents the life domains in this book chapter that I published. And the life domains are going to be your schoolwork is getting affected or uh, some emotional problems are happening, problems in relationships, maybe some mental problems as far as like they're doing worse uh, and mentally just tracking things, you know, so any emotional, social relationship and physical, if there's a physical challenge, if it's being affected or seems to be affected by the eating and or the body image issues, then that's the time to consult or go, go, um, go to a treatment center or um, take, take my online class and see if, if that would be helpful. Yeah. I think those are such great indicators because, you know, as parents we will notice if something is off in one of those areas, if not more, but to give parents like, Hey, these are the areas take note. If these seem off something in one of these areas, I think that makes it definitely more tangible because I know that um, when children are transitioning from tweens to teens and then, you know, young teen to older teen, there are different social behaviors and patterns that happen. And so like now my 12 year old, she's starting to spend more time alone in her room. And so um, it's not concerning at this point because she'll be up there for maybe an hour and then she'll come back out. And I know that's her usual pattern. And I know when she does it after breakfast, she goes up, she gets herself started, you know, organized for her day. But because I know the baseline, it makes it easier to be aware of if something outside of that baseline starts to creep up or appear, or there seems to be something that's off. Yeah. Pay attention, parents, just pay attention. Notice, notice if things, notice what the baseline is and notice if things change. Absolutely. Yeah. So, um, Tracy, are you open to if, um, well, your podcast is called calming the chaos and I love Mm -hmm. it. Um, so that's definitely a must check out and, um, it streams on all the pl- uh, podcast platforms, but you also have YouTube in case, you know, someone wants the visual, but are you open to people messaging you on Instagram or, um, through commenting through YouTube? Um, if they have just a question that maybe they're not sure about, or if they want more information about your course. Yeah, the, the best way to reach me is through my website, which is uh, uh, Tracy, T-R-A-C-Y, 
uh, well, actually, the website is um, uh, www.lokahi.com. That's lokahicounseling.com. So you can check out the website, which has an awesome resource page. I spent so much time building that resource page that you can get free resources. There's also a section for eating disorders in there. So you can go to my website. And if those questions aren't answered, then there's a way to contact me through my website. Perfect. And and I, do, I do have an Instagram too, and yeah. Twitter and all that other stuff. Yeah. And you can find me through my name and the calming the sea, I think is my tag name on, um, on Instagram. Yeah. So I'm going to put your website, your Instagram, um, all of that stuff on the show notes so that they just have to click and go, no worry about trying to search it all out. But I mean, free resources, who doesn't love some free resources. So um, the fact that you've taken the time to put those together is incredible um, because it's a great place for people to go to get those early questions answered, but also, um, you know, to see if they actually need more information or no, more guidance and support. So I think that's incredible. Yeah. Thank you, Tracy, so much for taking the time to come on. You have taught me so much today on this episode about disordered eating Um yeah, I just am so grateful for the information because now I feel more equipped to keep an eye on my girls, but I'm also their Girl Scout leader. So to keep an eye on the girls in my troop, but I'm also kind of like the pseudo mom. Um, so I do a lot of the chaperoning on the school field trips and things like that. So um, I know all the kids at school so I can keep my eye on them. Um and make sure that everyone's healthy and happy. Yeah. And this, yeah. Anybody listening to this podcast will have more information for sure. Yes. And it's such a, it's a gem. It really is. And so I'm so grateful for you taking the time. And so now more from our sponsor, the be well, be safe, be happy ice cream podcast. So this is a podcast you should really be listening to. And why is that you ask? Because it is this it is a podcast that is setting a new standard when it comes to podcasts about health and wellness with keeping weight off permanently and transforming your life by narrowing the gap from where you are and where you wanna be. This podcast is a prime example of everyday people just like you who have lost weight and kept it off permanently, have transformed their lives into the person they were meant to be, exactly what you want for you in your life. The show has a little bit of everything for anyone who desires to live a happy, healthy, and fulfilled life. I've been a guest on the podcast and have listened to some of the episodes myself about living your best life, keeping weight off, and the transformation episodes, how to keep weight off, transform your life, and live happy, healthy, and fulfilled. But that's just me. So don't just go by my recommendation. You should go go to trainingwithcoachbrad.com and click podcast on the menu bar for two reasons. One, so you can see the episodes for yourself and see which ones would be best for you. And two, so you can hear real life stories of what others have done and how you can apply what they've learned to your life to overcome any struggles you may have have going on. You can also... um, Search for the Be Well, Be Safe, Be Happy Ice Cream podcast wherever you listen to your podcast to give a sh- give the show a try and be sure to push the subscribe button to add it to your regular rotation so that you don't miss any of the upcoming episodes. Um, if you mentioned that you heard about this podcast on the One of a Kind You podcast, Coach Brad will send you the free PDF copy of his book, Mind Strong. It's a book all about elevating your life to the next level. So thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of One of a Kind You. And thank you so much, uh, Be Well, Be Safe, Be Happy Ice Cream podcast for sponsoring this show. Um, 
If you feel like this episode was helpful, which I know it will be, please feel free to share it with a friend because the more the merrier. And if you would be so kind to leave a review, I would greatly appreciate it. I take the time to read all the reviews to be sure that this podcast continues to be a place of support, guidance, and a resource so that us moms can stick together. Thanks so much for tuning in and we will see you next week.